This episode of Gun Blog Variety Cast brought to you by LawofSelfDefense.com. Go to LawofSelfDefense.com forward slash variety to learn about your state's self-defense laws. Sign up for one of their online or in-person seminars or buy the book Law of Self-Defense and get 10% off when you use the discount code variety at checkout. That's LawofSelfDefense.com forward slash variety. Sit back, relax, and take a ride with us on the Gun Blog Variety Cast, Episode 42. Welcome back to the Gun Blog Variety Cast. I'm your host, Sean, from NC Gun Blog, and with me today is Adam from Guns, Cars, Tech Blog. How are you doing, Adam? Eh, same old, same old. <laughs> no sleep? Eh, mostly, yeah. Well, there was something weird that happened about two weeks ago. We ordinarily go about 1,500 downloads per episode, but we got quite a bit more for episode 40. That's the one where Bob Owens is talking about why cops shouldn't carry Glocks. Yes, yes, yes. How many is quite a bit more? Well, something like 34,000 downloads so far. I'm, I'm sorry, 34,000? Thousand, yes. Okay. I have no idea where all these downloads came from. I contacted Libsyn, the hosting company, and they weren't able to tell me anything at all, except they were able to say for sure that it wasn't a bot gone wild. You know, it wasn't some server someplace that had just downloaded it a whole bunch of times. It was spread all over the country, but I'm not seeing any evidence that it was 34,000 separate people downloaded our episode and listened to it. We would see other things happening if that happened, but that's not what happened. So... If any of you picked us up from some strange location and said, oh, I'm going to listen to this podcast, please send me an email, sean at seansmartino.com, and let me know where this came from. Where'd you find it? Or you can leave a comment in the show notes, because your name is a little bit difficult to spell. Well, I mean, the show notes has it. Right. (laughs) So, the Tactical Dog and Fitness Report. 32 dog walking miles last week, and today was vet day for Dysis. Yay! Yeah, vet day for Casey was a couple of weeks ago, and man, was that expensive. Yeah, I expect it was kind of expensive, too. My wife took care of it, so I didn't see the bill, but... Yeah, mine cost about as much as a used Glock. Oh, it was yeah. It was bad. Yeah, well, she got her shots, and she got her little nose drops so that she can go stay at the, at the doggy hotel if she feels like mm-hmm. it. And she got her weigh-in. Well, the vet looked at my wife and says, 69 pounds. What? And my wife gave her, like, the side eye. She's like, the vet got all, like, self-conscious. She's like, what? What? And my wife's like, there is no possible way (laughs) that this dog weighs 69 pounds. The dog has weighed 60 pounds once in her life, and we're not sure how that happened. And she's like, well, there's this pad, you know? And my wife's like, we've weighed the pad. It's three and a half pounds. This dog is not 66 pounds either. And she's like, oh, 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 I'm sorry. No, 59 pounds. Oh, yeah. Minus three is 56. And my wife's like, that makes more sense. Yes. So she's 56 pounds. (laughs) Oh, well. So uh, me, I'm mostly recovered from my little injury that we talked about last week. Uh, So I'm actually going to start walking more tomorrow. So I have scabs on the bottom of my toes. It was a little bit difficult to do more than, say, walk to the refrigerator and back. 
Yeah, I understand. Yeah. And now it's time for Blue Collar Prepping with that bratty kid sister of the gun blogosphere, Aaron Paulette. This week, Aaron's going to talk about beach and poolside preparedness. Come on, every pony! It's time for Blue Collar Prepping with Aaron Paulette! <laughs> So, Aaron, when you say beach and pool preparedness, you're talking about things like wearing sunscreen and having a swimsuit and a towel with you, right? While those are all good things to have in your car, I also keep a pair of flip-flops for the exact same reason, that's not what I'm talking about. Instead, I'm going to talk about two very common water hazards, drowning and rip currents. Now, rip currents, also known as riptides or undertows, are strong currents of water that flow from the beach back toward the ocean. Now, if you are swimming and you feel like you are being pulled out into the ocean by a current, here's what you do. One, do not panic. I know that the feeling of being swept out to sea can be scary, but the truth is that rip currents stop relatively close to shore. Most dissipate within 100 yards of the shoreline. Two, don't try to fight the current either. Some rip currents are so strong that Olympic-level swimmers can't beat them, so don't even try. Instead, three, swim parallel to the shore. These rip currents are only 100 feet or so wide, so you can escape their pull with very little effort this way. And finally, once you're free, swim diagonally towards the shore. The diagonal direction is to ensure that you don't accidentally swim back into the current and waste all that effort. I recall hearing that most rip current victims aren't killed because it pulls them under. It's just because they fight it and then they're exhausted and then they drown. That's correct. You need to save your strength so that you can stay afloat. If nothing else, tread water or float on your back and call to a lifeguard for help. But speaking of drowning, despite what Hollywood has taught us, people who are drowning aren't splashing their arms and screaming for help. Do you know how to recognize the signs of drowning, Sean? Sure. They sink and they don't come back up. Well, yes, but we're trying to prevent drowning with this segment. Anyway, my point is that drowning is deceptively quiet. Here are the signs. They can't call for help because their mouth is at or below the waterline. If they have the breath to call out, they're clearly getting the air they need to survive. A drowning person is concentrating on breathing. Their head may even be tilted back with their mouth open. They don't wave their arms, either. The human instinct is to try to push the head out of water with the hands, so the arms are either by the side or in front of them. The in front is especially prevalent in small children. Their eyes are glassy, unfocused, or closed. Looks like they're concentrating very hard on trying to stay alive. And their hair is frequently over their eyes. Now, children playing in the water usually make a lot of noise. Much like toddlers and puppies, silence needs to be investigated immediately. And the most important thing to keep in mind is that someone who is drowning doesn't look like they're drowning. And there's a really simple way to find out. Just ask them if they're okay. If they can give you any sort of coherent answer, they're likely fine. If all you get, though, is a blank stare, you probably have less than a minute to save them. Because drowning people remain upright in the water with no evidence of kicking, and they can only maintain this position from between 20 and 60 seconds. All right, so I see somebody's drowning. I should jump in the water, swim out there, and save the day, right? Are you a trained rescue swimmer, Sean? No. Well, then that would be a bad idea. Trying to save someone who's drowning, if you aren't trained, is a good way to get yourself drowned. Because a person who is drowning is panicking, and they will likely try and climb on top of you to save themselves. 
and then there are two people drowning. So if you can't throw them a rope or a life preserver or get to them in a raft or in a boat, you need to notify a lifeguard immediately or someone who is trained in rescue swimming. But what you can do is take a Red Cross class on CPR and first aid so that you can render help once the lifeguard pulls that person to shore. I would imagine that a lifeguard after rescuing someone is out of breath and would really appreciate someone helping with the chest compressions. The best part about Red Cross first aid and CPR classes is that if you can get them taught by your local fire department or paramedics, they are free because these people love to teach the community how to save other people. So you should check your county or city website for details, find out when these classes are, and go and attend one. You'll learn a lot, and you'll get a nifty certification card that you can keep in your wallet. All right, Aaron. It was good to talk to you. I'll see you again next week. See you next week, Sean. If you'd like to read more from Erin, check out her blog, lurkingrhythmically.blogspot.com. I don't get it, man. I learned to swim as a child. I spent a lot of time in the ocean. I'm, I'm from Los Angeles. I mean, it's just, you know. Yeah, I was born about 200 miles inland. I actually do remember uh, vividly my swim lessons, but uh, I'm actually kind of responsible for getting swim lessons for free for about 100 kids that live in the inner city here in Nashville. Basically, several years ago, uh, there was a, a story on the news about how six teenagers had drowned in Louisiana because one fell in the river and then another one jumped in to save them, but no, none of them knew how to swim. And so all of them died. And I just was like, I was furious, right? Well, my wife, her job is to basically get money for programs like that um, so that they can, you know, survive. And I said, hey, you know, why don't you do something like that with the program that you're working on now? And she's like, that's actually a pretty good idea. So <laughs> she said that she, you make it sound like she's like, well, how did you come up with a good well, idea? Well, yeah, I think I think she was looking for ways to spend that money because it was restricted to you had to spend this money on athletic activities. And hey, look, this is an athletic activity. So uh, they did. A, I think they did about 50 kids the first year and they've done 20 kids the, uh, every year after that. So it's, it's about 100 kids now. And it's uh, kind of an ongoing thing. It's pretty cool. It doesn't take much to learn how to swim. But no. if you don't know how to do it, you're kind of screwed if you need to. Yep. Felons behaving badly. Two people shot in Raleigh. Dateline Raleigh. Two men were shot near the intersection of Bragg and East Streets Wednesday afternoon. Victim 1, 24, was shot in his right shoulder. Victim 2, 19, was shot in his lower right leg and left arm. None of the injuries were life-threatening, Raleigh police said. Both men were transported to Wake Med by private vehicle, police said. So, two guys randomly shot on the streets in Raleigh. Just hanging around? Yep, just hanging around on the way to church. On the way to choir practice? Victim number one, drug paraphernalia used possess 10-10-2007, misdemeanor class 1. Deliver cell schedule 2, 09-18-2008, felon class H. Possess schedule 2, 3-13-2009, felon class I. Victim 2, unauthorized use of a motor conveyance, 526-2013, misdemeanor class 1. Resisting officer, 526-2013, misdemeanor class 2. Carry concealed weapon, 526-2013, misdemeanor class 2. Drug paraphernalia, use possessed, 1030-2014, misdemeanor class 1. And possess schedule 6, 311-2015, misdemeanor class 1. All right. It sounds like 526-2013 was an exciting day for him. <laughs> 
Yes, yes, it does. Some kind of joyriding in a car, resisting the officer, and carrying concealed weapon all at the same time. Hey, that's an awesome day when you're 17. Yeah. Well, I realize no one in America really cares about soccer, but there's a very interesting scandal in FIFA right now. In our Foreign Policy for Grown-Ups segment, Nikki tells us why this is important. So, Nikki, we finally found a way to make metric football interesting to Americans. All you have to do is catch FIFA officials doing what we all knew they were doing, taking bribes. Allegedly. But in the grand scheme, it's just soccer, right? I mean, what's the big deal if a bunch of allegedly corrupt sports officials allegedly take million dollars of alleged bribes? Allegedly. (laughs) Well, FIFA is not just the allegedly annoying PS3 game my husband plays that causes him to have Tourette's-like outbursts that reverberate from his man cave throughout the entire house. FIFA is the Fédération Internationale de Football Association, uh, the International Football Association, uh, soccer. But it's not just that. It's a multi-billion dollar business. It's politics, it's profits, it's lucrative contracts worth billions of dollars, and it is apparently corruption on a grand scale that does impact our foreign policy and our relationships with other nations. So not just soccer. Earlier this month, Swiss plainclothes cops arrested six FIFA executives. At the same time, the Justice Department unsealed a 47-count indictment against 14 defendants, including FIFA bigwigs, sports marketing executives, and the owner of a broadcasting corporation with charges of racketeering, wire fraud, and money laundering. According to the Justice Department, deals between FIFA, sports marketing groups, and broadcast corporations for the television rights to air the World Cup and other international soccer tournaments involved bribes and kickbacks in exchange for exclusive marketing contracts totaling more than $150 million dollars in a data back to 1991. That's a lot of money. While the Justice Department's case deals chiefly with fraud and corruption in in North and South America, there's much more to the corruption scandal than that apparently. Forbes reports that the corruption money flows lead straight to Qatar. Over the past several years, the government of Qatar has been involved in a meticulous plan to exchange its vast national resource riches for global influence. In other words, money for authority, including bidding for the 2022 World Cup, a bid that's now being investigated by Swiss authorities, as Qatar has positioned itself as one of the key players in elite football. In 2010, FIFA awarded Russia and Qatar the right to host the event in 2018 and 2022, respectively. Qatar, a nation of just over 2 million inhabitants with little to no history in top-flight soccer, shocked everyone. Wonder why Qatar was chosen, hmm? Could it be money? The World Cup is a critical event for Russia as well. Putin has been working for a long time to establish Russia as a world player, The Sochi Olympics and now the World Cup in 2018 are part of that plan. Between the millions involved in site selection and the millions or nearly billions in construction contracts, the World Cup is big business. The total take for the Sochi Winter Olympics last year was something like $7 billion, and much of it went to Putin's old pal Arkady Rotenberg. So I would think the last thing Putin would want to do is have the United States go digging into the mechanics and finances that got Russia the 2018 World Cup. So why does the United States care? It's just soccer, right? It's not like FIFA is a business or government entity. It's just a private organization, right? 
Well, sure, but at the same time, if FIFA officials are involved in the load of charges alleged by the Justice Department in our jurisdiction, we have a duty to investigate that. We're a nation of laws, and millions in racketeering and fraud can't exactly be ignored. And while soccer isn't as popular here in the United States as it is in the rest of the world, that actually makes us uniquely positioned to take on the corruption other nations may be too hesitant to tackle because, you know, they'll fear retribution against their teams and soccer is so important it's actually caused wars. Okay, so we're uniquely positioned to prosecute this corruption, but how's that going to play with the rest of the world? Well, if you're Putin, you want to paint the United States as this meddling, power-hungry entity that swoops in under the guise of national security, destabilizes leadership in other nations, and then installs compliant puppets in their wake. You want to show that's pretty much what the United States is doing with FIFA, trying to overthrow the elected leadership of the organization and install a puppet that's more compliant to its needs. The head of FIFA is a Putin-friendly guy and has handed Russia the 2018 World Cup, despite Russia's continued funding and support of militants in eastern Ukraine and Putin's continued efforts to destabilize its neighbor and take over that portion of Ukraine to give himself a land bridge to the Crimea, which he stole last year. So why hand him the World Cup in 2018? But if you're the United States, you want the high road. You don't want to turn away from massive corruption as if it's business as usual. And as I said earlier, we're a nation of laws. We need to stand above that fray, as idealistic as that sounds. All right, Nikki. It was good to talk to you. I'll see you again next week. You bet. Have a good one. Nikki blogs at thelibertyzone.com. Yeah, I'm over five years old, so I really just don't care about soccer. Uh, but I am glad that Nikki explained this because now at least I kind of know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, metric football is not really my thing either. I played as a child, but I'm not going to watch grown men play this game. Grown women, however, <laughs> I like women's soccer. I'm not sure it's the soccer that I like, though. Yeah, I don't really care about the game at all. <laughs> over five, just don't. Strange laws. So we're going to talk about. Hollow points in New Jersey. Totally banned. Yes, totally banned, right? So this actually came up because uh, Say Uncle over at SaysUncle.com a couple of weeks ago said, hey, so, you know, if I was going to carry a gun everywhere in the country, what, you know, what would be legal everywhere in the country? This was kind of a, a gaming out national reciprocity. Right. And Sebastian, who we've had on this show, pointed out to him, well, in New Jersey, you can't carry hollow points, so you also have to think about that. Right, because everybody was like, okay, well, you know, you'd have to have a 10-round magazine because there's places you can't carry more than 10. There was that whole seven-round thing in New York, but that part was overturned, so we're pretty much good with 10 rounds. Right. But then what would you carry? Right, right. So, you know, a lot of people were like, well, you know, the uh, the baby Glock that is a 10-round 45, those kind of things. But Yeah, my XD with 10-round uh, magazines in it. Yeah, yeah. So we started looking at the hollow point ammunition for New Jersey, and it turns out that hollow points aren't really illegal under certain circumstances. Like, so you you can have them, but you can't carry them. Let's be honest here. First off, I'm not a lawyer. I am not a lawyer, and neither one of us stayed at a Holiday Inn last night. Right, express <laughs> or otherwise. But like everything else, firearm in New Jersey... It is prohibited 
except for these circumstances. So it's not like a, it's prohibited in these circumstances, but it's okay otherwise. It's a banned except. And we all know that banned except is a very, very dangerous situation, as opposed to generally legal, but don't do it in these circumstances, which is, you know, okay, we can, we can, we can work with that. So what did you find? So what we found is this is uh, Title 2C 39-3, Prohibited Weapons and Devices. And Section F of that talks about dum-dum or body-penetrating bullets. Any person other than a law enforcement officer or persons engaged in activities pursuant to subsection F of another section, uh, 2C 39-6, who knowingly has in his possession any hollow nose or dum-dum bullet, or any person other than a collector of firearms or ammunition as curios or relics, as defined in Title 18 U.S.C. Section 921, and has in his possession a valid collector of curios and relics license issued by the ATF, who knowingly has in his possession any body armor breaching or penetrating ammunition, which means ammunition primarily designed for use for a handgun, which is comprised of a bullet. You know, we've, we've gone over that before. For purposes of this section, a collector may possess not more than three examples of each distinctive variation of the ammunition described above. A distinctive variation includes different head stamp, composition, design, or color. So if you have a CNR, you can have armor-piercing bullets. For hollow points, and they... You know what a dum-dum bullet is, right? A dum-dum bullet is a bullet that was made at the dum-dum arsenal in India for use during, what, the Sepoy Rebellion? That time period? It was it was a long time ago. And what they figured out was that if you take a soft point bullet and you make an you score the tip of it, then it will break apart upon entering flesh. So that's a dum dum bullet. Right. So you can't take soft point ammo and, you know, do that. All right. So blanket prohibition, right? You can't have hollow point bullets. Exceptions. Nothing in subsection A, B, C, D, E, F, J, or K shall apply to any member of the armed forces or the National Guard or to any law enforcement officer while actually on while actually on duty or traveling to or from an authorized place of duty. Think about that for a second. Um, yeah. <laughs> provided that his possession of the prohibited weapon or device has been duly offer, authorized under the applicable laws, regulations, or military or law enforcement orders. Yeah, but that's a whole bunch of stuff that will never apply to you and me. Right, right. But it's interesting that if a police officer was not on duty, but carrying his duty ammunition, then that would actually be in violation here, if I'm reading this correctly. So that's interesting. That's just another kind of data point for New Jersey laws are really, really dangerous. Yeah. And then nothing in subsection F shall be construed to prevent a person from keeping such ammunition at his dwelling, premises, or other land owned or possessed by him, or from carrying such ammunition from the place of purchase to said dwelling or land, nor shall subsection F1 be construed to prevent any licensed retail or wholesale firearms dealer from possessing such ammunition at its licensed premises, provided that the seller of any such ammunition shall maintain a record of the name, age, and place of residence of any purchaser who is not a licensed dealer, together with a date of sale and quantity of ammunition sold. So you can sell it, you can buy it, when you buy it, you can take it home. Straight home. Straight home, don't even stop for gas. You may or may not be able to take it to the range, the New Jersey State Police have on their website that you can, but it references a section that we don't actually see listed in the law. So that may be the website that we're looking at. No, activities 26, 
nine, three. It references activities that you can do, engage in the activities pursued pursuant to. It's a typical of of law in that it refers to like sixteen different things. Gotcha. And, and we're not lawyers and we don't have time to go through all of this. Right. Right. So but it's very clear from all of this that you can't put hollow point ammunition in your carry gun. Not that you could carry a gun in New Jersey anyway. Yeah, not that you could carry in New Jersey. But I mean they I I've heard of stories of people being able to carry in New Jersey. I've also heard stories of unicorns. True, true. And now it's time for Kelly Grayson, who, wearing his action-adventure EMS pants, transforms into ambulance driver, a trauma-fighting superhero who prowls the seamy underbelly of the city in search of little old ladies who have fallen and can't get up. In this little segment we like to call... This one time? I'd like to welcome Paramedic. Medical trainer, internet raconteur, and all-around fun guy, the ambulance driver, Kelly Grayson. How are you, Kelly? I'm, I'm well, man. I've, I've uh, came back last week from a, uh, a long trip out of town uh, doing a couple of conferences, and um, and uh, now I'm paying the price for that because of the shifts I had to swap. I had to work a, a nine-day stretch before my next conference. So uh, I'm, I'm on duty until Tuesday, until Wednesday morning, actually. It sucks. Well, Kelly, you've been a paramaniac for a long time. I bet you've got a story or two. I've, I may have one or two uh, that would be entertaining to tell. So there I was lying on an embalming table in a funeral home. <laughs> we, uh, you may not know this, but a lot of, uh, a lot of rural EMS, uh, rural ambulance services back in the day used to do funeral home transfers uh, as a way to make money and the bills. It's pretty easy money. You, you go uh, after hours when the, when the mortuary or the funeral home is closed for business and if someone happens to expire, uh, the local ambulance service will go out there and, and uh, pick up the body, uh, fill out some brief paperwork and bring it up to the funeral home and let those in with their, uh, with their key and uh, place the patient on the embalming table to await the, uh, the um, embalmers and the, the morticians in the morning. So uh, the ambulance service I used to work for did that sort of thing. Um, it was easy money, $100 a body transfer, and we did uh, a good many of them per month. So uh, it paid the bills, uh, even if it is rather macabre. But we had a, a supervisor, and his wife worked as a, a, a crew ambulance, and they absolutely loathed dead bodies, scared to death of them. They would work a, a cardiac arrest resuscitation as aggressively as anybody you could imagine. But the moment someone said officially that the patient is dead, they refused to be in the room with them. So lo and behold, they get a call in the southern end of the parish for this body call. It's, uh, it's 10 o'clock at night. Um, it's going to take them an hour and a half to go pick up this body, bring it back to the, the funeral. And my partner and I were bored, uh, which is uh, um, the source of, of much evil in EMS. So we decided it'd be fun to hang out, uh, go sneak up to the funeral home and hide in there and scare them. So we wanted to, uh, we wanted to, to play this up right. So we went by my boss's uh, office and, or went by his home and said, hey, uh, Alan, I need my, my moulage kit. And he said, it's, it's 10 o'clock at night. What, you, what do you want your moulage kit for? And moulage is, is uh, theatrical wound makeup. 
I said, well, I'm going to go up to Forest Funeral Home and I'm going to lie on the embalming table. I'm going to paint my feet up with, with a death gray pallor and, and hang a toe tag on myself. And I'm going to scare the living daylights out of Ricky and Cindy. And he looked at me for a moment and he said, that is juvenile, unprofessional, and a perfect example of inappropriate horseplay in the workplace. Here, take my video camera. <laughs> so so uh, we took the video camera. Um, we got up to the funeral home. Uh, we're we're uh, in a time crunch at this point. I quickly made up my feet. My partner says, all right, all right, hop up on the, on the embalming table. I said, no, 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 no. We're going to clean that embalming table before I get on it. He said, oh, come on, man. You know, they clean it every after every uh, uh, embalming. And I said, need I remind you what we placed on this very table last week? And he said, yeah, yeah, you're right. There's probably some bleach around here somewhere. <laughs> so he cleans off the end table. I strip down to my underwear. I lie on the table, and I put a sheet over myself. Uh, Mike goes and hides the ambulance around the corner, uh, hides uh, and uh, sneaks onto the back lawn of the funeral home. We wait for Ricky and Cindy to arrive. So I'm lying there quietly with my hands over on my crossed on my chest, waiting for this, uh, waiting for uh, my victims to arrive. And I hear motor. Uh, I hear the sound of an engine outside, so I'm lying as still as possible. And then I hear the door open, and a shaft of light goes across my face, and I hold very still, and I hear Ricky say, Oh, there's already one on the table. And I also hear Cindy say, Well, I ain't going in there. Ricky grumbles. He said, All right, I'm, I'm, I, I got this. And he walks into the embalming room through the back door of the embalming room into the uh, casket showroom and he's looking for their body stretcher uh, that the uh, the uh, funeral home workers uh, usually keep around and I guess his plan is, is he's going to put their uh, deceased person on the body stretcher and just leave me on the embalming table uh, because he looked at me and I could hear his own hear him grumbling under his breath you know god what a big he's a big sucker I'll never be able to move him um and all the time, Cindy is refusing to walk inside. So he's doing this all by himself. And I hear him walking through the funeral home, reciting the Lord's Prayer to himself as he goes through the uh, the casket showroom. Yeah, either I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. <clears throat> and I, it's all I can do to keep still and to not let him see me breathing. He's got the lights on. I'm, I'm deathly afraid he's going to be able to see my chest rise and fall. So I'm holding my breath and breathing as shallowly as possible. And I can't really see him because uh, I'm under the sheet. I know he's somewhere to my right. And I hear him moving linen cans and biohazard cans around and positioning the stretcher. And, and when I finally couldn't hold it anymore, I knew he was somewhere to my right. I just sat bolt upright, reached out and grabbed his right arm and said, What are you doing? And have you ever seen, Sean, in the cartoons where you frighten a cartoon character and they're their head remains frozen in space, but their body turns and runs away, and then their head kind of catches up to it like it's on a rubber band. Boing! That's exactly what Ricky did. His body turned, ran out the room, his head kind of remained hung in space for a while with this frozen expression on his face, uh, and then it caught up with his body, and he hit the parking lot about three feet in the air and gaining altitude, and screaming bloody murder. And Cindy, of course, screams when she sees Ricky run past, and Ricky stops on the back uh, back lawn of the, the uh, funeral home, rolling, absolutely rolling. He's cursing me and crying and laughing at the same time. He said, oh, you b****, 
you got me. Oh, you got me. I'm going to kill you for that. You got me good. Uh, meanwhile, Cindy is, is collapsed into a puddle uh, in the front of the ambulance and had a little uh, bladder accident <laughs> the whole deal. Um, and uh, that's the... Uh, that's the the, the mortician or, or the uh, embalming table story, uh, bringing out the dead. We uh, um, to this day he he doesn't do dead bodies, but no one has ever got him as well as I did that night. Uh, just lying, standing there next to that that supposedly dead body on the embalming table and have it reach out and grab your arm was priceless. Uh, and we had the whole thing filmed. <clears throat> uh, we had set the video camera up. The problem was is my partner when he'd filmed it. Uh, zoomed in the lens, uh, zoomed in the uh, the objects uh, to where it was focusing only on the tables. You can only catch the periphery. Uh, uh, you can only see Ricky, see his arm, and, and see part of his body. You can't catch the expression on his face, which uh, disappointed me terribly. But um, uh, the sound effects were great. Um, that's the kind of stuff we used to do in EMS when uh, when we didn't have a, a whole lot of calls. We weren't near as busy, and that's the kind of horseplay we used to engage in. That was a very, very terrible thing to do, Kelly. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I would do it again tomorrow. And the fact that you have no video is the worst part. Yeah, I know. I, I, was, I was heartbroken. All right, Kelly. It was good to talk with you. I'll see you again soon. All right. Thanks for having me on, Sean. Ride along with Kelly at his blog, TheAmbulanceDriverFiles.com, and pick up his book, A Paramedic Story, Life, Death, and Everything in Between, available at Amazon.com. Wow, that was mean. Kind of funny, though. (laughs) It was really hard for me listening to that, because I busted out laughing and I was at work. (laughs) (sighs) Fun with headlines. All right, so I got a pretty good one. There's two components to this. There's the web story and then the title of the video that went with the web story. The web story headline is, Victim scares off attempted carjacker in Wilson County. The headline for the video is, Man's quick thinking fends off would-be carjacker. So, what are you thinking, Sean? Well, the first one is like, scares off attempted... What did he jump out and go, roar! (laughs) And scare the dude off? And quick thinking, uh, you know... um, he 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 must have pulled some one weird trick sort of stuff. Yes, yes. That one weird trick was a man reportedly fired several shots to deter a man from carjacking him in Mount Juliet on Tuesday morning. <laughs> <laughs> that was some pretty quick thinking. That was some pretty quick thinking and also scared off the carjacker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That dude Gunfire right tends to cause people to be a little, mm, I have to be over here right now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm not staying here. Yeah, not here. Oh, it happened on Langford Pass in the Langford Farm subdivision at around 2 a.m. Nothing good happens after midnight. Yeah. According to an incident, the victim noticed a car following him without its headlights on. Always a good sign. <laughs> the car reportedly pulled in front of him and came to a direct stop. He told deputies with the Wilson County Sheriff's Office the suspect exited the vehicle, approached his car, and demanded his keys. The victim fired two shots into the air from his legally registered 40 caliber handgun, causing the suspect to flee the scene on foot. The vehicle the suspect exited, described as a black Chevy Aveo, possible, with possible bullet holes, sped away. So fired into the air horizontally at the car. <laughs> with his legally registered handgun. Yes. Layers and layers of editorial oversight. 
There's not much on the road out here, so it's kind of unusual that they were following this one car, said longtime resident Warren McCaslin. McCaslin hopes the suspect thinks twice about carjacking one of their own in the future. (laughs) If I had been in that position, and if I was legal to carry a firearm, I would have done exactly the same thing. (laughs) That is what you call a clue. (laughs) Go and get your concealed hand. I mean, are you a criminal that you're not allowed? Well, I I, I don't know, but uh, yeah. I just, you know, didn't we have a fun with headlines or, or something a long time ago where, like, it was on, like, Shooting Range Road or something? <laughs> Rifle Range Road. <laughs> yeah. That's a clue. <laughs> That's a clue that maybe you shouldn't try to rob a guy on that road. Yeah. In their defense, it was right off Rifle Range Road. Oh, yes. Well, have you ever wondered why it takes computer companies so long to fix their problems? Baron explains why this is in Tech Tips. Tech Tips. Tech Tips. You are damaging my calm. Tech Tips with the Baron. Baron, thanks to you, I've started to pay attention to this uh, internet bug of the week thing. Every time I turn around, there's some horrible exploit being uncovered. But even when it's uncovered, it takes forever to get fixed. Why is that? Have you ever heard of the axiom that the amount of energy necessary to refute BS is an order of magnitude bigger than to produce it? Well, fixing computer bugs and exploits works just about the same way. Frequently, instead of taking the time and effort to do a proper fix, people will kludge together a quick fix and leave it at that. They won't come back and do it right in the end. And there's a serious cost that actually comes with the quick fix. On the one hand, it works and many people start using and relying on the fix. This is a good thing. It unblocks the world and allows everyone to keep moving forward because we don't want to be stuck waiting. On the other hand, though, the quick fix is rarely fully thought out or investigated. They often make assumptions that were made during the creation of the fix that over time proved to be wrong or incomplete, leading to issues with the fix up to including new bugs and vulnerabilities created from the fix. Let's use an example. There's something known as the Border Gateway Protocol. It's what allows the internet to be the awesome thing it is, because the difficult part of the net is figuring out how you get from where you are to the site you're visiting. As we all know, the internet is a series of tubes, much like the road system actually. Like the road system, we need signs that say Seattle next exit or Charlotte 2000 miles. And back in 1989, a couple guys came up with a really efficient fix that scales well because the previous system was about to completely die. Like they, if they added a couple more networks, it would have completely killed the internet at that moment and that would have been stuck until this fix went in. They did this sitting in a diner on the back of a couple napkins with a focus on how do we keep the internet working and keep it going. Well, they did, and soon every router and major piece of equipment was standardizing on their protocol creation. This creation, though, had put no thought towards ill intent, because why would somebody do something nefarious on the internet or be dishonest and lie? Well, fast forward to the mid-2000s and today. Anyone can create false entries in the Border Gateway protocol tables, causing traffic to be routed through their network, i.e. China can cause American traffic to have to flow through their system, and vice versa. Now think about the fact that you have the NSA wanting to spy on the American people, but they're limited because the traffic must transverse the national border. Well, if they manipulate the Border Gateway protocol, They can induce all traffic to go out of the country and then come back in. If you don't believe me that this is as vulnerable as I'm making it out to be, Pakistan took down all of YouTube, 
all of YouTube for the entire internet in 2006. All they did was create a small entry in the exterior routers of their where the internet met their country. And their goal was to actually take the YouTube down inside of Pakistan. Well, the slight misconfiguration did it for the entire world. So no thought or concern went into the border gateway protocol in the beginning when they created this quick fix. But now systems are so dependent on this quick fix for interoperability, finding a solution without requiring the entire internet to upgrade all at once is exceedingly difficult. This is somewhat of the reason why we have the slow rollout of IP version 6 and why we're still so dependent on IPv4. But Baron, how does this really apply to me? Simple, Sean. When you go to fix something, even if it isn't software, the same issues hold true. Quite often, we will all fix problems in our house, and we will often take the quick fix and the consequences that go with it instead of fixing it the right the first time. Often, this makes the overall cost of the problem go higher than if you'd just taken the extra bit of time and effort up front to fix the problem from the ground up. A good example of this is common house repairs, especially common when you rip into someone else's previous fix. You like, you buy a new house? Often, instead of properly fixing the problem or getting to the real root of the problem, they took the quick fix, fix approach. End result, more work and more damage in the end. Because seriously, who hasn't gone to fix something and as they tear into it, finds issue after issue the deeper they get in and often swear at the asshole that cocked and painted over the problem the last time it happened. All right, Baron. It was good to talk to you. See you again next week. See you next week, Sean. Baron still blogs at the-minuteman.org. So Baron and I have kind of similar careers. And let me just tell you how much of my week is taken up by this kind of stuff. Actually, no, we don't have time for that. Let me just tell you that I have a six-hour meeting once a week that is entirely about correcting these type of things. Wow, that sounds like the duct tape and bailing wire of the tech world. Yes. My wife says farmers are the same way about their fencing. You know, maybe this is just like part of the human condition. It's the way people operate. Lazy. <laughs> hey, if it's stupid, but it works, it's not stupid. Yes, it's still stupid. <laughs> the J-Block. Ex-boyfriend saw it in Woman Slaying. When Carol Brown felt the threat of domestic violence, the petite hairdresser took steps to protect herself. The Berlin Township woman got a restraining order against a former boyfriend, installed security cameras and an alarm system on her home, and began the months-long process of obtaining a handgun, friends said. But it wasn't enough. Brown, 39, was stabbed to death in the driveway of her Patton Avenue home on Wednesday night. Her former boyfriend, 45-year-old suspect, was charged with her murder. Suspect, a convicted felon, was a fugitive Thursday being sought by U.S. Marshal Service Task Force. Berlin Township Police Chief Leonard Check said Brown applied for a gun license on April 21st and that she had inquired Monday about her request. The application process typically takes two months or more as police collect information on the applicant, including fingerprints and reference checks. We did not get the fingerprint information yet, said Check. She applied for permission to purchase a firearm. Not to carry one. I mean, you don't get a carry permit in the People's Republic of New Jersey. Right. She applied on April 21st and was murdered June 3rd. That's a month and 13 days. And no handgun. Because, well, you know, we're just not going to process your paperwork fast enough. And two days before she was murdered, she called to check to see how, how her permit process was going. Yeah. Great job, guys.
Well, at least those strong laws in New Jersey kept her psycho felon ex-boyfriend from getting a gun. He had to stab her to death. Extra bonus, with all those security cameras, I'm sure they got some really good footage. Which is what we really want in life, is good footage of crime. Right. You know, we don't want the crime to happen. And now a word from our sponsor. You know what will happen. If you ever have to defend yourself, you're going to end up in handcuffs. Are you trained to win the fight after the fight? Sure, you can draw, aim, and put two in the ten ring, but have you learned your legal self-defense? Do you know the law? Go to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash variety to sign up for your legal self-defense class. Each class is tailored to the laws in your state. Attorney Andrew Branca will teach you the law, not just what the law says, but what the judge's legal opinions say, what the jury instructions say. Sure, you could risk spending the rest of your life in prison because you followed the advice of some gun store counter jockey, or you could spend the day with the man who literally wrote the book on the law of self-defense. Carry a gun so you're hard to kill. Know the law so you're hard to convict. Go to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash variety to sign up for a legal self-defense class in your state. And make sure to use discount code variety at checkout to receive 10% off. And don't forget that we're still accepting donations at gofundme.com forward slash gunblogvarietycast. Every little bit helps towards getting us some better audio equipment. Well, she's my favorite anti-gunner. And this time, she's going after a car dealer. Weird tells us what Joan Peterson's up to in This, this week, week in, in Anti-Gun anti Nuttery. Well, hey, Weird, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Sean. So did you hear that our favorite Minnesota gun grabber is all butthurt over the fact that a Chrysler Ford dealer is offering a free lawnmower if you buy a car from them? Joan Peterson? What does Joan Peterson care that they're giving free lawnmowers away at a car dealership? Well, it's not just lawnmowers. If, if you don't want the lawnmower, you can get a free Ruger handgun. Oh, yeah, that would explain it. All right, so from the story, a cloquet car dealership is getting a lot of attention by offering a very unique deal. During the month of May, they are offering a free handgun with the purchase of a car. If you spend close to $5,000 on a new vehicle, you automatically have the option of a free Ruger handgun or a lawnmower. I know that we will run this to the end of the month, and this might be an ongoing promo, owner Al Berman said. So, Joan is really upset about this. They need to think about what they're doing with those guns if they're going to have them around the home. And we just feel that um, we don't think a car dealer needs to promote guns as a giveaway. She is having an awful hard time trying to conceal her just irrational hatred of guns with that weak delivery. <laughs> so she even went on Facebook to complain and asked some of the dumbest questions imaginable. Here she said, we think it is sending the wrong message. Should businesses be just be giving guns away to anyone? Are we assured that background checks will be completed? What about the safety of our children and families? All right, so let's just start off here. This is a car dealership. They're not a gun shop. They don't have an 01 FFL, and this is part of a business practice. So guess what? They're not going to be selling guns out of the car dealership. Oh, seriously, what does this woman think? I mean, oh, well, you know, we know it's federal law. We have to do a background check on any firearms we might sell. So we'll just totally violate federal law because we're a car dealership. And while we're violating federal law, we're going to put an ad in the paper so the ATF can make sure to know what address we're at. Oh, God. Yeah, no, I mean, it doesn't say anything specifically about this dealership. This is not a unique offer. Car dealerships have been doing this all over the place with different guns for promotions. And 
they all do it through an FFL. You're not getting a free gun. You're getting a coupon for a free gun with the purchase of a vehicle. Also, if anybody cares, they probably don't have lawnmowers in the back room either. You're probably getting a coupon for a, a dealer, a lawnmower dealership. I mean, this is just like Michael Moore's free gun from uh, the movie Bowling for Columbine. In the movie, Fat Mike goes into a bank that's offering a free rifle with with the opening of a checking account. And then it shows him in the movie walking triumphantly out into the parking lot with his rifle. The reason why he walked out with a rifle was because he walked in with a rifle. That was his own gun that he brought as a prop and made it seem like he had gone into a bank and the bank gave him a gun and he walked right out. You can't do that. It's illegal. That's true. Joan also said, This has nothing to do with being anti-gun or anti-Second Amendment. This is about being pro-safety, giving away a deadly weapon, a gun, as a promotion to get people to come and buy cars is the wrong message to send. Of course, Sean, we know that Joan Peterson is anti-gun. She's anti-Second Amendment. With the exception of hunting, she sees no reasonable reason to own a gun, carry a gun, or anything to do with firearms ownership whatsoever. Again, if she was all concerned about public safety, you'd know that violent crime is dropping as gun ownership goes up. So again, if you're pro-public safety and pro-reality, you need to be pro-gun. That's right. All right, Weird. It was good to talk to you. See you again next week. See you next week, Sean. In addition to appearing here, Weird is a regular host at The Squirrel Report and blogs at weirdworld.com. That's W-E-E-R-D world.com. Same old tired story. The anti-gunners wail and moan about the way they think things work and then push for laws that we already have. Yeah. And the best part, dude got like heaps of free publicity. Yeah. (laughs) Stuff that grinds my gears. I'm pretty sure... When I'm on the highway, like a named interstate, like Interstate 40, that you've got plenty of lanes to choose from. So when I'm running down the center lane of three lanes in my direction, running straight up my butt and expecting me to pull over so that you can pass without changing lanes, just isn't going to happen. I'm going to let you know this now. My cruise control is totally not intimidated by you. (laughs) (laughs) If you're too much of a chicken to get out into the number one lane to make the pass because you're afraid the cops are going to pull you over, you're just basically admitting to everyone that you're driving too fast. So slow down. Go left and pass or slow down and maintain a proper following distance. And you know, you know what the secret is to never getting a ticket ever again in your life? Set your cruise control to five over and relax and enjoy the ride. You're going to get there faster than you would. It's speeding up and slowing down, speeding up and slowing down. You're not going to get a ticket and all those ulcers, they go away because you're not stressed about anything. But climbing up my butt and expecting me to move over into the slow lane so that you can block me in against the next guy who's driving slower than me, it's not going to happen. So go around. I think I'm rubbing off on you. No, I've been doing that for years. (laughs) They just pissed me off about it really bad this week. It's like when all I see is this big logo, you know, Ram in my rear view. I mean, I don't even see headlights at this point. I'm like, you're too close. But you know what? (laughs) My cruise control doesn't care. Yep. And company car. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) So, Sean, have you ever had somebody come and complain to you about some new gun law that GRNC, Grassroots North Carolina, is trying to get pushed through because 
it'll limit the ability of police officers to do their jobs. Oh, Lord. So I got a call from a friend of mine this week saying that he wanted to get more involved with the Tennessee Firearms Association so that he could help correct them on some some things because he felt like now this this person uh, who was relaying the story to me was talking about a detective with um, one of the local police departments. And and this detective had told him that they could no longer arrest drug dealers on their way to a buy because Tennessee passed a law that says if you are legal to to own a weapon, you can keep one in your car. So he was like, well, you know, now we can't arrest them for carrying a gun. Right. But you can still arrest them for all the pot they had on them. And you can still arrest them for, hey, guess what? It's still illegal to have a pot, to have drugs and a gun in the same place. Still illegal. That doesn't. So so let me get so let me get this straight. You're all upset and you want to go change things because you can't nail a drug dealer for a class C misdemeanor that gets a maximum of 30 days in jail and a $500 fine. Is that is that is that what I'm hearing? Because that's stupid when you can get them for all the other things. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. For those of you who have never done any time in the trenches, uh, number one, get off your butt. Get out from behind the keyboard and go do it. Go get involved in your state. There's, uh, In fact, I think I could point to somebody right now who has a list of state-level gun rights organizations. Oh, yeah. I, I forgot about that. I totally do. We'll put that in the show notes. So get involved, find out what the laws are. Now, see, I spend a lot of time reading what these laws say, and I know a lot about North Carolina law, and there's guys in grassroots North Carolina that make me look like a five-year-old. They can quote chapter and verse. We've got lawyers that'll explain exactly what these laws mean. You are not going to go into these organizations where people have been working on this for 15, 20 years (laughs) and school them and fix their problems. They are going to make you look like the moron that you are. Oh, man. I have a story. I was at a Second Amendment appreciation event working the TFA booth, wearing a TFA shirt. And I had a, I had my Glock open carried, and this guy comes up to me. He was running for office, uh, local office. I cannot remember his name. I really wish that I could because I would really like to embarrass him some more. But he comes up to me and he's like, "You you you can't do that." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" I'm I'm sorry. He's like, "You you you can't open carry like that." I was like, "Oh no no it's 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 okay, sir. I, I have a permit." He's like, "No no no no. There's there's a quirk in the law that you can't do that." And I went. Oh, um, I'm I'm sorry. Um, I, I'm not actually from this town. Does this town have have an ordinance that's older than 1969 before preemption came in? Because that could totally be the case. He's like, no, 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 no. It's state law. And I went, okay. So let me get this straight. So you're telling the guy standing at the the booth of the state level organization wearing the the state level organization attire at an event put on by the state level organization that he doesn't know what the law is in the state. That that's your argument. <laughs> <sighs> now go away, or I shall punch you a second time. Oh my gosh! But yeah, get out from behind the keyboard. Get involved in some of these groups. They are uh, a lot of frustration, but it's not with the organizations. Usually, it's usually with your legislators, and it's usually with the legislators who are supposed to be doing you a favor. The ones that are supposed to be on your side—they're the ones that really frustrate you. But if you don't do it, Who's going to do it? 
So get out there and do it. Well, that's our show for the week. Thanks again to Rob Allen for our music, and thank you for listening to the Gun Blog Variety Cast. Constructive criticism can be sent to Sean at SeanSorrentino.com and hate mail the wizard PC at GunsCarsTech.com. Show notes can be found at GunBlogVarietyCast.com forward slash episode 42. Thank you.